Well, we have been waiting all year for this. It is the most wonderful time of the year, but my guess is that we have two different kinds of people in the room this morning, so I'm gonna need a little bit of audience participation. How many of you absolutely love Christmas music? Okay, pretty good. Now, my guess is that the rest of you absolutely hate people who love Christmas music. (laughs) We all know those people, right? The ones who go a little bit overboard in their tidings of comfort and joy. Um, If I'm being totally honest with you guys this morning, I will admit that sometimes I can be a little bit of a Scrooge. My wife, on the other hand, I'm pretty sure she was born at the North Pole. Not making this up. We have had our Christmas decorations out in our house since before Halloween. And uh, the, the Christmas music has been blaring over the stereo and the sound of that music means only one thing. The waiting is almost over. Christmas is almost here. It's time to hang the lights and fluff the tree and get yourself a big glass of eggnog if that's your thing. Uh, Sit in front of an open fire and roast chestnuts. I don't know if anybody actually does that, but I hear about it in the Christmas songs. Uh, We watched Home Alone at our house tonight. It's time for Christmas movies. Good stuff. Because the waiting is almost over. Christmas is almost here. We've been waiting all year for this. And let's be honest, that's what life is, right? It's just a lot of waiting. Now, when you're a kid, you, you wait for lunchtime to come, you wait for school to get out, you wait for your birthday, you wait till you can turn 16 and get your driver's license, you wait till you turn 18 and can move out of the house, you wait till you turn 25 and get cheaper car insurance. We're waiting, we're waiting to find the one. We're waiting to save enough so we can have enough to retire. We're waiting for the weather to warm up, we're waiting for the weather to cool off, we're waiting for the Cincinnati Reds to finally be relevant again. <laughs> We've been waiting a long time. (laughs) Life is a lot of waiting. In fact, I read a study by one psychologist where he took a survey of 3,000 people and he asked them an important question. He said, what do you have to live for? And he was shocked to find out that 94% of those people were waiting for something. They were simply enduring the present, just trying to make it through today with their hopes set on tomorrow, a life of perpetual waiting. And the people of Israel knew what it felt like to wait. After the Old Testament ended, the miracles ceased, the prophets were gone, and God was silent for 400 years. This, this page uh, right here in the middle of your Bibles between the Old Testament and the New, New Testament, this blank page, that's 400 years. 400 years of silence waiting to hear from God, 400 years of oppression under evil empires like Rome, 400 years with no deliverance in sight, 400 years of silence. And in the midst of that silence and waiting was one elderly couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth. And they knew what it was like to wait. They'd been waiting on a child Luke chapter one, verses five through seven says, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Now, in that day, every Jewish couple dreamed about having a house full of kids because if you had enough kids, then maybe, just maybe, one of them would be the Messiah, would be the one sent by God to rescue his people. And every Jewish couple wanted that to be their kid. Now, if any couple was righteous enough to deserve that kind of a blessing, it was Zechariah and Elizabeth. 
Zechariah was a priest. Elizabeth came from a priestly family too, so they're doubly righteous. Luke makes sure to point out how blameless and devoted they were, but still, no kids. Imagine the shame. Imagine the whispers. Woo, they must have done something terrible to deserve that. Imagine, who's, who's ever heard of a man of God that wasn't blessed by God with children? How could that be? And some of you don't have to think very hard to imagine what Zechariah and Elizabeth went through because you know the pain of infertility. You know that longing to grow your family and the insecurity of not being able to. And for you, this season, this season where we celebrate and anticipate the arrival of a baby might not be the most wonderful time of the year. If that's you today, I'm glad you're here. We love you. God loves you. God sees you. And God hears you. Because for years, Zechariah and Elizabeth prayed. They begged God to give them a child. They prayed and they waited. They waited long, sleepless nights on tear-soaked pillows, hearing only silence in return. And they'd see birth announcements and they'd get baby shower invitations in the mail and they'd try to rejoice with their friends and they felt guilty for feeling jealous. Had God forgotten them? Their friends had kids, and then eventually their friends' kids started having kids. But for Zechariah and Elizabeth, time did to their bodies what time does. You know, the name Elizabeth means, my God is an absolutely faithful one. And they believed that in their heads, but their hearts were tired of waiting for that to be true. And so somewhere along the way, they stopped praying for a child. They packed away their hopes and just settled into the silence. And this is where we meet Zechariah in verse eight. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of the incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Now, in those days, if you were a priest, you would serve at the temple only two weeks every year. Two weeks on, 50 weeks off. Not a bad work schedule, if you ask me. <laughs> well, it's Zechariah's turn to serve at the temple, and he goes, and they cast lots. Basically, they draw straws to decide which priest is going to do which job. And every priest wants to burn the incense. That's the job they all wanted. You see, inside the temple, in the inner part, in the holy place, there was an altar of incense. And for a normal priest, that was as close as you were ever going to get to the presence of God. And every day, twice a day, a priest would go in and burn incense on that altar. But here's the thing. There were 20,000 priests in Israel. So if you ever got to do it at all, a priest would only get to have that honor once in his lifetime. And Zechariah was an old man. He'd been waiting his whole career, waiting but today was Zechariah's day. His name had been called and he was ready. He'd read the manual a hundred times. He'd been preparing for this moment all of his life. This was the pinnacle of his career. So as Zechariah approaches the altar, every step is careful. He gets to the altar. He throws the incense on. He bows low to the ground, says a quick prayer, and is just getting ready to turn and make his exit when all of a sudden an angel appears. Now, I'm not talking about one of those chubby, cute little naked baby angels that we see pictures of, all right? Those aren't in the Bible, by the way. This is a blazing, fierce creature. 
who inspires terror in anyone who encounters him. And this angel speaks to Zechariah and says in verse 13, he says, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Wow. The angel tells Zechariah the most amazing thing he's ever heard. Your prayer has been heard. Well, which prayer is he talking about? Is he talking about the prayer that Zechariah was praying as he came into the temple, the prayer for God to send the Messiah and deliver his people? Or is he talking about that prayer? The prayer of long ago, the prayer for a baby. The answer? Yes. Both. Two prayers, one answer. The angel says, hey, Zechariah, your wife is gonna have a baby and he's gonna be great in God's eyes. He's gonna be filled with God's spirit. He's gonna bring the people back to God, just like Elijah, the greatest prophet of all. And in fact, he's going to prepare the way for God himself. In other words, Zechariah, God has not forgotten you. Zechariah's name means the Lord remembers and he certainly does. God remembers his promise to Abraham to bless the whole world through his family. God remembers his promise to David to send a king like him who will reign forever. God remembers his promise. In the last paragraph of the Old Testament, right before the silence, right before the waiting, God promises to send a prophet like Elijah who will prepare the way for the Lord. So even in the silence, even in the waiting, God remembers. This is the most incredible thing Zechariah has ever heard. So how do you think righteous, faithful old Zechariah responds? Take a look, verse 18. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. (laughs) At least he knows well enough not to call his wife an old lady, right? (laughs) But Zechariah is basically saying to the angel, look, I get you're not from around here, buddy, so I'll pardon you if you don't understand exactly how the birds and the bees work, but senior citizens don't have babies, buddy. (laughs) Now, hold on. Zechariah is a Jew. He's a descendant of Abraham. You might remember Abraham's story. Abraham was 100 years old and his wife was 90 when God sent them a baby. And Zechariah believed that God could do that. He believed that God could do impossible things. He believed that God could do great wonders in astounding ways. He just didn't believe that God would do that for him. He long since stopped praying for that. Oh sure, Zechariah, he would still pray the big prayers. God, heal our land, save our nation, deliver us. But he stopped praying those little prayers, the ones that are a little more personal, a little more dangerous. 
Maybe you're there too. Maybe you've given up hope. Can I ask you this morning, what is it that you have stopped praying for? What is it that you have stopped praying for? Maybe you've stopped praying for him to quit drinking or for her to soften her heart or for that runaway child to come home or for your coworker to believe or for the sickness to go away or for God to heal your marriage because that, that just seems too distant, too impossible, too, too far out, too risky, too dangerous. Maybe, like Zechariah, you're tired of waiting. If that's you today, then maybe the angel's words are for you too. Do not be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. But Zechariah still responds to the angel in doubt. And I love this. When Zechariah responds like this, the angel is offended. Look at this, verses 19 and 20. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, the angel says, and I've been sent to you to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. So Gabriel basically just says, uh, yeah, Zechariah, you're above your pay grade on this one, buddy. Uh, you're burning some incense on an altar and that's a big deal for you, but I just came from the throne room of God. My sources are pretty reliable on this one. And oh, you want a sign? Fine, I'll give you a sign. You're not gonna be able to talk for the next nine months. Enjoy. <laughs> it's like the first ever divinely ordained game of hush puppies right here. <laughs> then look at what happens, verses 21 and 22. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. So Zechariah comes out and he tries to explain what happened, but he can't talk. So they're having a little bit of difficulty communicating and they start playing charades. Can you imagine how this went? Zechariah's What in the world is he talking about? All right, hold on. Uh, person, place, or thing. <laughs> okay, uh, person. All right, uh, how, how many words? Okay, two words. Oh, two words. Uh, what, 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 what's this person like? What kind of, what? Uh... <clears throat> okay, somebody had too much for Thanksgiving. Nope, nope, somebody's pregnant. Somebody's pregnant. And they start throwing off every name of anybody they can possibly think of who might be pregnant. But nobody's saying Elizabeth. But sure enough, Zechariah goes home and he can't talk, but one thing leads to another and before long, Elizabeth is expecting. Can you imagine? At this point in her life, she's thinking about nursing homes, not nursing babies. <laughs> when Elizabeth goes to Walmart, she's been putting Depends in her cart, not Pampers. <laughs> but she's thrilled. Look at what Elizabeth says in verse 25. The Lord has done this, catch this, for me. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Church, I hope you believe the miracles of the Bible. And I hope you believe that in principle, God can transform people's lives. But the question is the same for us today as it was to Zechariah and Elizabeth. Do you believe that God could do that for you? in your life, with your mess, with your forgotten dreams, and your shattered hopes. Well, 
Six months goes by and Elizabeth's cousin comes to stay with them for a little while. She's visiting and she's, she's pregnant too. You might recognize her name. Her name's Mary. Mary shows up and Mary and Elizabeth are celebrating together the miraculous way that God is working through them. And I'm sure at some point Elizabeth chimes in and says, well, you know, Zechariah hasn't made a peep in months. <laughs> and they celebrated some more. <laughs> and eventually the time comes for Elizabeth to have a baby and she does, a little boy. Verse 59, on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah, but his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. They said to her, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. They made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for his iPad, excuse me, his writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free and he began to speak, praising God. And all the neighbors were filled with awe and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard it wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. This is beautiful. Zechariah has been struck silent for nine months and you know, when you're in the silence, when, when you're in the waiting, it's easy to grow bitter or cold or distant or withdrawn. But Zechariah doesn't do that. He chooses to let the silence draw him nearer to God and to rely on God's faithfulness in a way he's never experienced before. And so then when he comes uncorked and he can speak again, what does he say? What kinds of stories is he gonna tell? Well, the first thing he does, of all the things he could have said, he sings. He sings a song of God's faithfulness in the waiting. So let me ask you a question. What are you waiting for? If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I want you to know that we're glad you're here. And I want you to take a good look at your life. What are you waiting for? What are you working towards? What are you setting your hopes on? Maybe you're waiting to finally be healthy again because you think that a pain-free body is what you need most now. Maybe you're waiting for someone to see you and love you for who you are because you think that acceptance is what's gonna heal your heart. Maybe you're waiting for that big career move to pay off or for your hard work and your accomplishments and your salary to give your life significance. Maybe you're waiting for your kids to grow up and do amazing things because you think that if you have successful kids, it'll make your life worth something. Whatever it is, whatever you're waiting for, I know that most people spend their lives waiting for what they think they want, but never finding what they really need. And it's even worse at Christmas time. We spend our, 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 our time looking for a good time or shopping for good deals, but we miss the good news. Here's the thing. God sent this baby, John, to tell us that the waiting is almost over. Did you catch that? Christmas means the waiting is almost over. And in the middle of Zechariah's song, he tells us that the thing that we need most is almost here. Verse 76, he's singing over his baby and he says, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the most high for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation. Did you catch that? What you've always been waiting for, whether or not you knew it, 
is salvation. Oh, you, you, you may think that you need a nicer car or newer clothes, but what you really want is acceptance, which we find in Jesus. And you may think that you need a bigger salary or to make a difference for your kids to be successful, but what you really want is significance, which we find in Jesus. Or you may think that you want a promotion or more respect from your spouse, but what you really want is power, which we find in Jesus. And you may think that you need to take a vacation or, or at least take a day off, but what you really want is joy, which we find in Jesus. Or you may think that you need to be your own boss or to start some new healthy habits this year, but what you really want is freedom, which we find in Jesus. Or you may think that you need more and better friends or for your family to finally stop being crazy, but what you really want is relational intimacy with someone who will never let you down, which we find in Jesus. Don't you see it? Anything you've been wanting, anything you've been working towards, anything you've been waiting for, any, anything at the heart of it, you've been waiting for salvation. You've been waiting for Jesus. And Christmas means the waiting is almost over. Because while Zechariah is singing this song, there's a baby in the belly of a teenage girl about three months along, maybe even in the same room where that little baby in her stomach can hear the song Zechariah is singing. His tiny little lungs developing, his fingers and toes beginning to take shape, his little hairs beginning to sprout. And that little fetus, that baby, he's God. And he's bringing salvation. And he is what we have been waiting for. Because here's what the arrival of Jesus means. Look at Zechariah's song. First, in Jesus, our chains are broken. Verse 68, Zechariah says, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. That word redeemed is a slave market word. It means that God came and found us, and at great cost to himself, he paid the price to set us free. With Jesus, there is freedom. So if you've been waiting for your chains to be broken, the chains of addiction, the chains of secret sin, the chains over guilt about your past, the chains of fear about your future, the chains of a heart full of bitterness and unforgiveness, if you've been waiting for your chains to be broken, then the waiting is almost over because Jesus can break every chain. In Jesus, our chains are broken and our battle is won. Verse 69, he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. So Zechariah says here that Jesus is the horn of our salvation, which sounds a little bit weird, but if you think about it, it makes sense. An animal's horn is what gives it victory in battle. So in other words, God is strong enough to win whatever battle you're fighting right now. And the sin and death in this world have no power over the spirit of God who lives in you through your belief and your baptism in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That battle's been won. In Jesus, our chains are broken, our battle is won, and our debt is paid. Verse 76 and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. 
because of the tender mercy of our God. Zechariah's little baby named John would grow up and we know him as John the Baptist. And he would command the people to turn away from whatever else they were following and to turn to God. And he would promise the people that somebody was coming who would take their screw-ups and their guilt and their shame and their past and their weaknesses and their rebellion, this mountainous debt that they could never repay. Someone was coming who would pay it. And 30 years after Zechariah foretells that in singing this song, John would set his eyes on Jesus and he would announce for everyone to hear that the waiting is almost over, saying, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In Jesus, our chains are broken, our battle is won, our debt is paid, and a new day is dawning. Verse 78, Zechariah says, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. You know, not many things carry more hope than a sunrise. Because a sunrise means the waiting is almost over. And Zechariah says that Jesus is the rising sun from heaven. The night is almost done. The day is almost here. And right now, this world that we're living in, this world of waiting, our world is is cloaked in a black night of darkness and death, desperate for someone to lead us into the dawn of light and life. Well, he's here. Christmas means the waiting is almost over. Jesus has come and he will come again. And in the meantime, he's leading us into a new day a new day of joy to the world and peace on earth and goodwill to men. He's leading us into a new day where there will be no more child-sized caskets or divorce courts, no more hospice care, no more dementia, no more locks on doors, no more empty seats at the dinner table. He's leading us into a new day where every marriage is deep and every child is played with and every heart is filled with love for God. Every heart is filled with love for another person. Every house is filled with laughter. Every table is filled with food. That's the day Jesus is bringing. And that's what he's working towards in us. And so until that day, we wait. So as we wait, don't lose hope. Let the words of the angel to Zechariah sink deep down into your soul. Do not be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. So don't stop praying. Don't stop singing the song of salvation because even though we're still waiting on these unmet yearnings and unfulfilled hopes and unmet longings, even though we're still waiting and sometimes it seems like a long silent night, Christmas means the waiting is almost over. Will you pray with me? Father, I pray for those in this room who know what it feels like to have their hopes shattered, their dreams broken. I pray for those in this room who may have even stopped praying. And I pray, God, that you would, inside them, even now, light a little spark of hope. a little spark of faith. Because we believe, God, that Jesus, because you came and because you're coming again, even in the waiting when we don't see what you're doing, we rest in the knowledge 
that the waiting is almost over and that you will make everything new. We pray this in your name, Jesus.